0: And we have, uh, we have made it. Chapter 28 of the book of Acts. We are in the last chapter and so I invite you to turn there and that's page 1743, Acts 28. It's been a long journey and uh, we conclude that journey this morning. Praise God for that and um, I hope it's been a helpful journey for us as a church as well. While you're looking up that text, I just want to acknowledge a, a friend who I saw come in a little late. Um, Mac Lowley Sori is a church planter who's going to be planting uh, churches on the south side of Milwaukee. And uh, we've been praying for him, and I just wanted to let you know uh, he's in Milwaukee, and he's actually right here in our church. So uh, praise God for that. And... Um, <clears throat> And that means we don't stop praying, but now we really have to start praying um, for, for him and his work. And this must be your family with you? Alright, well welcome to all of you. Glad that, uh, that you are here among us this morning. Great to have you. So we've been in a series on the book of Acts almost uh, for almost a year now, I think. A couple of months uh, will bring us to that year point. And uh, let's, uh, let's read the end of end of the account. We'll start at verse 11. So last week uh, we looked at at Paul's journey on the sea and his shipwreck and all of that. They have wintered on an island and um, they are just about to leave that island uh, for Italy and for Rome. So that's uh, that's sort of the context um, for this text. Let's read from verse 11. After three months we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Patuli, or Petoli. There, we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and, as they, or, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, "'My brothers,' Although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but I w- or because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you, It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, Paul explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave Paul after Paul had made this final statement, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of god and taught about the lord jesus christ and this is the word of the lord brothers and sisters in christ i'm guessing that you've seen some of these uh, progressive insurance commercials where they actually throw out the uh, the red challenge flag sort of like they do in a football game right and then you have a repeat a review of of the thing that they're talking about well there's one of those commercials that takes place at a at a school bus stop of all places and there are, are a couple of moms talking together before the bus arrives and the first mom <clears throat> looks at the other one and she says, you know, it's been so long since I've seen you. You guys, you guys should come over and, uh, and watch the game with us this Sunday. And the other mom responds, oh, we would love that. And then pops up the second mom's little girl. And, uh, and she says, you said you didn't want to watch the game with them. You said they never stopped talking. Now, that's kind of a problem for second mom. She knows that she's in a little trouble. She tries to recover. She looks at the first mom and says, Girl, I never said that. You know children. They they must be making stuff up. She must be making stuff up. And then out comes the challenge flag, of course. And they have to review what was actually said in that whole discussion. And as it ends, the little girl says, See, I told you. There's a lot of embarrassment, but parents... Kind of know that drill. If you're a parent, you do, right? You always have to be aware of those little ears that are listening even when you think they may not be. That's why parents spell so well, right? I think so-and-so is getting a little G-R-U-M-P-Y. I think it's B-E-T or B-E-D-T-I-M-E. I had a little trouble with that, obviously. I'm not a very good speller. Um, But that's what we're always worried about, ears that are hearing things that they're not supposed to hear. But that can work the other way as well, can't it? Sometimes there are ears that, that should be listening, that should be hearing, that are not. My mom probably had to struggle with this tremendously, I'd say. The last 20 years of her life or so because my father had a gift for selective hearing many things he was supposed to hear that he found it very easy to just ignore right he was able to ignore things that he didn't want to hear and this is the tension that the book of acts ends with actually Paul is here declaring the gospel to all of his friends, to all of his fellow Jews, his own people. But the Jews seem to have this form of selective hearing. They're supposed to be hearing. They're supposed to be listening. There's something that's worth hearing, but they don't hear it. Or else we could say they refuse to hear what he's saying. Their ears are not open to Paul's words. And, and that's sort of the way that this book ends. And I think when we get to this chapter and we hear, um, we hear Paul quoting the words of Isaiah from Isaiah 6, we have, <clears throat> we have a, a tendency to focus on those words in particular and focus on the sense of hearing more than anything else as if this book is all about the ears the ears we want to learn about this hearing the gospel we want to talk about that more why is it that some people hear the gospel and and others don't why is it or how is it that our ears function that our ears work and I don't want you to get this wrong we do have a responsibility the Bible tells us over and over for how we listen and how we hear God's Word. But I don't want us to forget, friends, that from beginning of the book of Acts to the very end, this book is more about the mouth than the ear. It's more about talking than it is about listening. I think it's fitting as we conclude this book this morning that we also, you know, spend a little time reviewing some of the things that we've already heard. And if we go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Acts, you'll remember that Jesus commissions his disciples there to be what? To be his witnesses. His witnesses. Now, a witness is someone who speaks about what they have seen, A witness uses her mouth. And this is the calling of the church. This is the calling of the next man up. It's to speak, to keep repeating what it is that we have seen, to keep witnessing to Jesus, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection, to his ascension. We are called to keep speaking, to keep witnessing And in this final chapter of Acts, we see that Paul fulfills that responsibility to the very end, doesn't he? Um, He continues to be a witness for Christ, and he puts everything that he has into that task, friends. If you look at verse 17, and I hope you still have your Bibles open, verse 17 there says that three days after he arrived at Rome, Three days think about all that he went through on his trip to Rome the shipwreck all of that he gets to Rome and it's three days later that he's already um, gathering his people together to introduce himself to them to tell them why he why it is that he's in Rome and then you get to verse 23 Okay, he welcomes all of these people to what seems to be a rented place of his own. He's allowed to live in his own residence, um, even though he's under house arrest. And we read there that, that a large number, even larger numbers, come to visit him, and from morning till night... Paul opens God's word with them from morning till night. He opens the law, he opens the prophets, and he explains to them about the kingdom of God and tries to convince them about Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul is, is, is totally sold out in this task of witnessing for Jesus Christ. Paul never mails it in, does he? Not when it comes to witnessing to his Lord. It's clear that he loves Jesus. It's clear that he loves the people that he's talking to. It's clear that he believes what he's telling them, and he wants them to believe it too. Paul is a sold-out witness for Jesus Christ. And yet, and yet, in spite of all of that, we also see something else here that we see again and again in the book of Acts. Verse 24. Some believe and some do not. Some believe and some do not. And we wish it weren't so, but this always seems to be the case. The Word divides. Jesus divides. Some believe and some do not. But here's something that I'd like us to take note of. And that is that Paul is not in control of the results of his labor. Paul does not control the results. Paul witnesses, but he doesn't control who's going to believe and who isn't. Who does control that? God. God controls that. Okay? Okay? And that's important for us to understand, friends, that God controls the ears. And God controls the heart that must change, that must turn. And it's important for us also to understand that the God who is in control of these things is far beyond us. And we don't always understand, nor can we understand His ways. And sometimes we forget that. And when we do, we might be tempted to try to predict who it is that that might actually listen, that might actually hear the gospel, and and predict also who will not hear. Who's going to be open to the gospel and, and who might not be? And that might influence our mouths and to whom it is that we really speak. And there's there are somewhat good reasons for why we might try to predict who will hear and who will not. There are many predictors for that, that we get right out of Scripture, right? For instance, Jesus talks quite often about how the rich might ignore the gospel, the poor might accept it, the powerful might denounce it, the weak might accept it. There are all these generalizations that we find in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about the cross, right? And the cross, it says, is a stumbling block to the Jews. A stumbling block to the Jews. And we see that played out in the drama of Acts over and over again. Time, it is, time and again, Paul goes to his own people only to be frustrated by their unbelief. Frustrated by how often that unbelief takes the form of of hostility and aggression and even persecution that comes back his way. The cross is a stumbling block to the Jews, says Paul in 1 Corinthians. Should we even bother taking the word to the Jews? He also says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the cross is, is is, is foolishness to the Greeks. And again, we see this played out in the book of Acts. It's almost the entire um, second half of the book of Acts when we see Paul bringing the gospel to whom? To the powerful, to the elite of of his world, to governors like Felix and Festus and to all of the important people in the cities. If you read who these people are who are listening to Paul defend himself and defend his faith and declare his faith, they are all the elites of his own society. And think about this, when you read about all of these testimonies in the book of Acts that Paul makes in defense of his faith, how many conversions do we hear about? Was Festus converted? Was Felix converted? Will Caesar be converted? The truth is, we don't know the answers, but we're not told. We're not told that these people believe seems like the gospel spreads like wildfire among the commoners, but among the elite it doesn't seem to have the kind of impact that we would think. And this, friends, can lead us to predict who we think deserves to hear the gospel and who doesn't, who might actually listen and believe and turn to God and who will not. And yet, And hear this, friends. The book of Acts seems to warn us again and again that closed and open hearts cannot be predicted. They cannot be predicted. Think about Paul's efforts to go to the Jews. Like we said, it seems like time and time again, they reject him, they reject his message. In fact, there are two times before what we read in our text that Paul turns to them and he says, Because you have rejected my word, I'm going to the Gentiles. And it seems like, bang, he is done with the Jews completely. Until you get to the next chapter, and he visits another city, and you read that Paul went first where? To the synagogue. And he presents the gospel to the Jews once again. It's always the same, to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. He just does not quit. He has the direct command from Jesus that he will be the one to carry the gospel to the Gentiles but that does not mean that he avoids the Jews it does not mean he avoids the Jews the gospel is a stumbling block or it's foolishness to the Greeks we're told but does that prevent Paul from going to the elite from going to the powerful from proclaiming the gospel no again and again we can't predict. I mean, think of Paul himself, right? Who was Paul? He was a Jewish scholar. He was a persecutor of the church. Would you have ever predicted that Paul would believe? I wouldn't have. And then there are people like Cornelius, a Roman centurion, okay? I mean, he's in with the Romans. He's in with the army. He's got his place in the world, far above what many others have. Would you have ever predicted that he would believe a Gentile of Gentiles? No. What about the Philippian jailer, the Ethiopian eunuch? He was a man of royalty, a man of wealth, a man who was far different than the Jews He hears the gospel and he believes. And consider all of the other exceptions that we we read about in the book of Acts. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 believed. 3,000 whom? 3,000 Jews. And then you read that number grew to 5,000 just a few verses later. And you read that other line, right? And the Lord added to their number daily. And the church grew and their numbers grew You wouldn't predict it, you wouldn't expect it, but it happens. Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to the Bereans with the gospel. This is what we read. As a result, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women. That's a category you don't hear of too often. Would you predict that they would believe? They did. Acts 21 this is Paul's return to Jerusalem, right? He's been encouraged to stay away from Jerusalem. He goes back anyway. James and the elders meet him there and they say this to him You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. Could we have predicted it? No. That's the point. You can't predict who's going to believe the gospel, who's going to have ears that are open that will listen there is there is one thing i think we can sort of say about unbelief and that is that it has a lot to do with the idea of grace the idea of grace friends is offensive to just about any group you think of i mean that's what paul is really getting at in first corinthians 1 He says, God is out to frustrate the wisdom of the wise. How? With his grace. He will frustrate the wisdom of the wise. And we see this played out in the latter part of Acts especially. I mean, what seemed to turn off the Jews about the gospel, about Paul's preaching, it wasn't so much this idea that God was bringing in the Gentiles. I mean, they expected that. That's written in the prophets. They knew that that would happen one day. What really seemed to get them about the gospel message was that they themselves, the Jews, God's own people, the people who have always been on the inside, that they needed to follow the exact same path to salvation as the Gentiles. That's that's what was offensive. Because that implied what? It implied that they, the Jews, were just as lost as the Gentiles were. I mean, there wasn't a separate gospel for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. That, friends, was offensive. Grace was offensive. It was the same with the Gentile Gentile elite. I mean, what irritated them wasn't so much the idea that Jesus saves and all of that is resurrection, yes. But this idea that Jesus saves, that wasn't so offensive, but it was the idea that the elite needed Jesus just as much as the commoners needed Jesus. I mean, how could you believe that, that some people don't need more saving than other people? Or flip it around, that some people don't need less saving than other people. Friends, grace grace has always been a hard pill to swallow. And that's one of the warnings that we can take away from Acts 28. That whenever we begin to play that game of predicting, you know, who will actually hear the gospel, who will open their ears, and who will not, it's probably telling us that, that we've misunderstood grace. It's telling us that and we believe some people probably need need Jesus more than other people. That for some people, you know, it makes sense that that they need Jesus. It needs sense it makes sense that they need him to die for them, but it doesn't make sense that I would need that kind of sacrifice. Jesus is less a need sometimes for us and more of a a nice option. That's a dangerous place to be, friends. But, But the point of all of this is that we all need Jesus, don't we? I mean, we all need Jesus. It starts with me. And that's always where Paul started. I need Jesus More than anyone. I am the chief of sinners. And if Jesus can save me, then Jesus can save anyone. Not the other way around. It was never, if Jesus can save you, then he can certainly save me. No. It was, if Jesus can save me, then he can save you. And so, what are we? We are witnesses. Witnesses to Jesus, to what we have seen and heard. Witnesses to what he has done in our lives, in my life. And witnesses what? Use their mouths. Witnesses use their words. And the ears and the heart, that's God's domain. That's God's domain. And we have to leave it there. Hearts and ears must be opened by God. The ears that hear, the heart that understands and turns, the one who controls all of that is God. We discover that right in the beginning of our text. I mean, it's repeated. We, we hear it again, I should say, at the beginning of our text. Verse 15 Picture this scene, right? The brothers come out from Rome to meet Paul on his way into the city. And just think about that scene for a moment. Paul has never been to Rome. <laughs> Paul's never been to Rome. These aren't his converts. This is his first time here. Paul, whom Acts presents throughout as... as the primary missionary, the great missionary, the great one who evangelizes everyone. He's responsible for the word going out to so many, right? And yet, here are believers, here is a gathering, here is a church, a church in Rome that apparently Paul's had nothing to do with. And it means, what this means is that the expansion of the gospel, okay? The expansion of the gospel from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, the expansion of the gospel is first and foremost not the work of Paul. It's the work of the exalted Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. That's who's controlling it all, that's who's responsible. There is someone who is much greater than Paul, who is behind the spread of the gospel. This is God's work. This is God's work. Paul has been called to be a witness. But it's God who opens the ears. It's God who opens the heart. It's God who's always at work. When we are witnesses, when we open our mouths, it's God who is at work. It's God who is opening ears and changing hearts. Friends, our job is like Paul. It's the job to be a witness. The job of opening ears belongs to someone else. It belongs to God. And therefore, our job, our job is to witness to all, to everyone, to Gentiles and Jews, to women and men, to the elite, and to the common. Our job is to witness to the woman who cares for your children and to witness to the family whose children you care for. Our job is to witness to your patients in the hospital and to the nurse who empties your bedpan. Our job is to witness to all. Look at what, look what Luke writes in verse 30. For two years, Paul was in Rome. Two years, and what? He welcomed who? He welcomed all who came to see him. It doesn't say he welcomed the Jews or he only welcomed the Gentiles or he only welcomed the men and not the women. No, it says he welcomed all. And you read that just after you read that God's salvation has now been sent to the Gentiles because the Jews wouldn't listen to it. And you would think, well, okay, so Paul might welcome, he might speak to the Gentiles, but no, it says he welcomed everyone. He welcomed all. And he did with them just what he did with that gathering of his own people in that room, in his own rented house. He preached to them the kingdom of God and taught them about Jesus Christ. And like Paul's, our calling, the calling of the next man up at the end of Acts, is the same. And it's the same at the beginning as it is at the end. Our call is to be witnesses. Our call is to speak, to preach, to teach. To explain, to convince. Our calling is to spend night and day with anyone who will listen, opening the scriptures to them and telling them about how Jesus is there in it all, through it all. Our job is to love and to tell and to rejoice in God's grace and to trust that He is still at work in ways that we could never, ever predict. Friends, is there someone in your life who just doesn't seem to be listening? Who just doesn't seem to hear? I mean, they have ears, but they don't hear. They listen, but they don't really understand. And even when they understand, their hearts don't change. Their hearts don't turn. Do you have anyone like that in your life And if you do, have you lost heart? Have you given up? Have you said, I can't do this anymore. It's just too hard. They're never going to listen. You know, that's the one thing, the one thing that you never see in Paul. He never gives up. He never gives up, does he? Think about the structure of Luke once, or the structure of Acts as Luke tells the story. Three times... Three times you, you hear the story of Paul's conversion, of Jesus coming into his life, stopping him on the road. It's repeated again and again and again. Twice it comes off, off his own lips or from his own lips. He repeats the story. He tells it again and again. This is what Jesus means to me. It's personal, it's heartfelt, and it's repeated. He doesn't quit. It's his witness. Friends, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. If Jesus has changed your life, then keep telling the story. Keep telling the story. Tell the story of what Jesus means to you. As I end this morning, And as we conclude this whole series, I want to leave you with one thing. Okay? Look at verse 16 a moment in this chapter. Luke tells us that in Rome, okay, Paul is put under house arrest. And we read that there is a soldier there to guard him. He's under house arrest with a soldier to guard him. Now, the way that this worked. Okay, back in this day and in Rome, a soldier would sort of do a shift guarding the prisoner. Okay? Maybe he would be chained to him, whatever. And when his shift was done, then another soldier would come in and replace him and there would be like this whole rotation of soldiers coming in and out. For over two years, this happened. Now ask yourself, how many of those Roman soldiers do you think heard the story of Jesus? Whether directly or indirectly, overhearing it as Paul was telling it to somebody else, how many times do you think those soldiers heard the story of Jesus? It's, it's interesting, you know, when when Paul writes his letter. the philippians to the church in philippi there's a verse there toward the end in fact it's the second to last verse that many of us probably just skip right over right because it's sort of uh, paul's conclusion to the letter chapter 4 verse 22 this is what paul writes this is maybe his last letter okay it's written from rome he says this all the saints here in rome send you greetings especially those who work in the palace of Caesar. Think about that. Isn't that incredible? Do you hear that? Especially those who work in the palace of Caesar. How do you think there came to be Christians in the palace of Caesar? Well, well, there were these guys who were chained to Paul on and off for about two years, and they kept hearing about Jesus. They kept hearing the story of the gospel. That's how they became Christians. Friends, witnesses speak. So let's be faithful and speak. And God opens ears. And God changes hearts. And so never lose hope. Never lose hope. And the church grows to the ends of the earth. And God's grace Reaches into places and further than we could ever imagine. Let's bow together in prayer. Jesus Christ, King of Kings, ascended Lord who reigns in the heavens, will you continue to proclaim your gospel. And use us to be your witnesses. And will you open hearts, open ears, turn hearts to you away from the world, away from Satan. Turn them to you, the true the true ruler of heaven and earth. And may your kingdom and may your church continue to expand and expand and expand. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.